You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Four days and three nights in Hong Kong with a mint Instancon RF70 and a fistful of point and shoots. Markets, tram rides, protesters, and too many roller coasters. But how many cameras did I take on my overseas holiday? Keep listening and find out. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Everything analog photography related. friends how are you i hope you are well wherever you are all around the world it's monday the 7th of october it's actually a public holiday here in queensland and some of australia not all of australia for the queen's birthday uh now the queen the the queen actually her real birthday is in april um but for some strange reason here in australia we celebrate the queen's birthday at different times of the year so i think in uh queensland and new south wales we actually celebrate it in October. I think it's because in April, uh, around April, there's actually a lot of public holidays. So, of course, you've got Easter, which is around April, either side of April. Uh, You've got Anzac Day, which is always the 25th of April here in Australia, our version of Remembrance Day. And then in early May, you've got May Day public holiday. So, what they did with uh, Queen Elizabeth's birthday is they shifted it to October. Uh, And, of course, the Queen I'm talking about is Queen Elizabeth II, who is Queen of Australia, as well as being Queen of many other places. Uh, It's actually been very warm today. Uh, It feels like summer has arrived early. We're only really technically in spring, uh, but I think it was like 33 degrees today. Very hot. We had the air conditioning blaring all day and uh, I actually decided to um, start cleaning up my cameras and my home office. Uh, There is just cameras and Instax and negatives and lenses and old rolls of film and all sorts of stuff everywhere. It is absolutely disgraceful. And I kind of got despondent about it, thinking, you know, it's, it's never going to get any better. Then I listened to a this kind of self-help uh, audio book, and it was basically saying that nothing gets better unless you make a start and uh, do little things day by day by day. Uh, and eventually things get better if you put some effort into it over time. So I have started today in cleaning up this disgraceful uh, mess that is a home office where I record Matt Love's cameras. Just a quick recap. My name's Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analog photography. In most episodes of the podcast, I review a different film or instant camera, telling you about their history, their features, what they like to use, and what kind of photos you can expect from them. Today's episode, episode 19 of Matt Loves Cameras, is a little tale about my photographic adventures in Hong Kong in August. So it's about two months ago now. Uh, Gosh, it doesn't seem that far away, but it was. You can see the images I talk about on the show notes at mattlovescameras.com. And I've actually had a little revamp of the website, so let me know what you think of that. And I'll put a few of the images also on the show's Instagram at mattlovescameras. So this episode is about the first leg of our recent trip overseas. So I'll give you the background. So in October 2018, we were invited to my sister-in-law's wedding in England. And of course, it's it's my wife's sister. So of course, we're going to go. So we started looking at airfares and there was actually a sale on here in Australia just before Halloween. And the airfares to Europe for summer 2019 were actually really good value. Of course, there are four of us. There's me and my wife and there's two kids who are like uh, nine and 11. And so it's not really that cheap to travel with four people. But just before Halloween, all the airlines were having their sales and we actually got some really good prices um, with Cathay Pacific who are an airline carrier based in Hong Kong. So we booked the the tickets uh, from Brisbane to Hong Kong. We planned a four-day, three-night stopover in Hong Kong. And then from Hong Kong, we flew out of Hong Kong into Zurich. 
and then we planned four nights in Switzerland, flying out of Geneva up to Birmingham, which is where Birmingham in the UK, that is, not Birmingham, Alabama. (laughs) And uh, that's near where my wife's family live. And then we had three weeks in England where we were going to the wedding, um, hanging around Shropshire, and then going down to the Isle of Wight for a week before we left. And then we flew out of London Heathrow through Hong Kong all the way back to Australia. So that was the planned itinerary. Now, the part with Hong Kong was basically just to break up the trip. It's a very, very long trip. It's like 22 hours if you go through straight through. Uh, Now, the Switzerland part, you might be thinking, why did we go to Switzerland? Well, when we booked this trip, or when we were thinking about booking this trip, my wife gave me a task. She said, the kids have not seen much snow because they live here in sunny Brisbane. Uh, We never have snow here in Brisbane, so they haven't seen much snow. So my wife gave me the task of letting the children see some snow in Europe in summer. So just about the only place I could think of that was accessible to us on the way through to England was Switzerland. So that's why we booked the Swiss trip. And uh, you'll be able to find out all about our Swiss adventures in the next episode of Matt Loves Cameras. So as the uh, time approached, um, of course, when we booked Hong Kong last year, I was really looking forward to it. I've been to Hong Kong twice before and loved it. Never really had more than two or three nights there, um, but was really looking forward to our time there in the summer, summer, August 2019. And then sort of in the lead up to uh, us going, there was more and more reports about Hong Kong in the press, about these protests that were going on. And it actually got so serious, of course, with um, a lot of the protests that people at work started saying to me, oh, are you still going? Like, it's getting pretty bad over there in Hong Kong. Uh, But there was no official travel advice from the Australian government against going to Hong Kong. It just said, you know, be careful. Then two days out before we left, (laughs) two days, they actually raised their advisory level saying uh, take extreme caution when in Hong Kong, especially at night and on the weekends, avoid large gatherings of people. And so they actually raised their uh, alert advice for Hong Kong. They still didn't say don't go. Uh, And so because we were locked into this trip with really, if we pulled out of Hong Kong, we wouldn't have been able to get to Europe. So we just went and thought, you know, it'll be fine. Now, in the lead up to the trip as well, as well as thinking about all that, uh, you know, the unrest in Hong Kong, I also had a lot of unrest in my mind about what cameras I was taking. So let me run you through my list of cameras. So for this trip, I used a different bag to what I usually use. Um, I used the Lowepro 250AW or something like that. It's a backpack with a top section and a bottom section. And it's also got a laptop section. Now, I usually use my ThinkTop, ThinkTop, ThinkTank, ThinkTank Airport Essentials is what I usually have. I love that bag. It's a great bag. But uh, the laptop section on the the ThinkTank bag is like furthest away from your back. Uh, So you've got the camera stuff against your back and the laptop sleeves further away. And it kind of, like, my, I've only got a little Mac, right? It only weighs, it weighs less than a kilo. Uh, but it kind of makes you feel like it, the bag's really heavy if you've got the laptop in the bag all the time. So th- for this trip, I decided to use the Low Pro. The laptop with the Low Pro is actually against your back. So you feel like that center of gravity is a bit closer to your back. So I use the Low Pro. Uh, look, it's not, not a bad bag. It's got a top section and a bottom section. So in the bottom section, I had all my digital kit. So I had my X-T3, my Fujifilm X-T3 with the wonderful 50 to 140 f2.8 lens, beautiful lens. Very heavy though, it's kind of heavy. It's like maybe 1.5 kilos or three pounds. And also had my X-T2 with the 18 to 55 lens, which is another very good lens. It's a variable aperture lens, f2.8 to f4, but a stunning lens, I love it. In the top of the bag, I had my Fujifilm Class S, which you can hear about in episode six, where I contrasted it with the Fujifilm Class original version. I had my Mint Instantcon RF70 in the top of the bag, which you can hear about in the last episode, episode 18. And I'll tell you a bit more about that camera during this episode as well. I also had my film with me in my bag. And uh, one thing for this trip I did was I actually sourced 
all of the film I used from my home fridge. Now, in other trips I've done, I've thought about what film I want and I've made an order online, which is great to get a little present in the mail. But you know what? I've got a lot of film in my fridge. And so this time I went straight to my fridge, looked what I had, and um, I decided to shoot whatever was in my fridge. Now, for some reason, I had a lot of Portra 400. And it's a funny thing, Portra 400. I kind of think of it as a premium kind of film. I, I have no hesitation in shooting a roll of Kodak, two, Kodak Gold 200. With Portra 400, I feel like, oh, you know, it's a bit more expensive. It's a bit more special. I don't want to waste it. But that... The, the end result of that is that I have a fridge full of Portra 400 because I never shoot it. So I thought, right, Portra 400 is going to be my go-to film for this trip. So I took a dozen rolls of Portra 400. I took two rolls of Kodak Ektachrome, which is, of course, is a color slide film. I took one roll of Kodak Ektar, one roll of Portra 160, just because I had it in the fridge and I'd never used it. I took six rolls of Kodak Gold 200. Of course, I'm using Kodak Gold for the Frugal Film Challenge, and I had August and September to shoot while I was away, as well as four other rolls just for the fun of it. I had four rolls of 1600 speed color film. So two of them were Fujifilm Superior 1600, and two of them were Fujifilm Natura 1600, which are exactly the same film. Of course, Superior 1600 is the name used in North America, and Natura 1600 is the Japanese name. And what I did with that Natura film was I actually put it in a clear Ziploc bag uh, in top of my stuff in my Lopro bag. And I'll tell you about why that is in a minute. I also had 10 packs of Instax wide film for the RF70, eight packs of Instax mini film, because my daughter was taking her Instax mini nine. And of course, dad has to carry the film. And I think, let me have a look at my list here. I think that's it. I think that's all the film that I took. So that was my carry on luggage. With my check-in luggage, I had a suitcase, uh, of course, and in my check-in luggage, I had more cameras. I know, crazy, right? So I had my beautiful little Voigtlander Vito C, which is a very, very small, compact 35mm camera. You can hear about in episode 10 of Matt Loves Cameras. Love that camera. I had an Olympus XA. I've had a couple of Olympus XAs uh, maybe for about a year. Um, I kind of went crazy on eBay and ended up with two. So I decided to take one with me. Um, so just to try out and see if I could do a little episode of Matt Loves Cameras on the Olympus XA. I took my Olympus LT1, which of course you can hear about in episode four of Matt Loves Cameras. One of my favorite point and shoots. It's basically a Olympus Mu1 in a sexy leather jacket. Uh, and of course, I'm shooting the Frugal Film Project with that this year, along with a bunch of other very talented, very cool photographers all around the world. The second last camera I had in my suitcase was a plastic one, which weighed hardly anything. It was the Three Lens Disdairy Robot, which I picked up off Facebook Marketplace for the princely sum of $2. Uh, yeah, a Three Lens plastic camera. Just uh, a bit of fun. And the last one I had was a, this one was heavy, man. I felt this every time, every step around Hong Kong, around Switzerland, around England. Every time I had to lug, lug my bag somewhere, I felt this. Uh, it was a broken, yes, that's right. A broken Canon AE1 program with the beautiful 50.1.4 lens. Now I'll tell you why I took that with me, a broken camera with me on my travels. I'll tell you about that probably in a couple of episodes time, the English episode. So that's what I had. I had how many? I got one, uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think I had nine cameras with me. Uh, that's pretty crazy. Uh, and that's certainly, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed shooting with them on the trip and we were away a month, but that's kind of crazy. Uh, so next time I'm going to try and limit myself to less cameras Certainly in terms of the digital stuff, you know, I do shoot some stock photography now and again, which is why I took the two digital cameras with the two zooms to give me a nice bit of reach across sort of different focal lengths. Oh, but quite honestly, you know what? I think next time if we did a trip like that, I would be happy with my Fujifilm X100F. I might be tempted to get the teleconverter for it to give it a bit more zoom reach, but well, to give it some zoom reach, should I say, because it's a, it's a fixed lens camera. 
but I would be very, very tempted just to take the X100F next time because that digital stuff is heavy. And, you know, I get most of my fun out of out of uh, film cameras these days. So, yeah, I, I definitely need to rethink my camera gear uh, for the next trip. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So in early August, we went to Brisbane Airport late one evening. It was still quite chilly because it was winter here in Brisbane. And uh, we got all our stuff checked in and we headed for the security counter. So as we went through airport security, I had my little Ziploc bag with my four rolls of 1600 speed film in. Now, because we were going from Brisbane to Hong Kong to Switzerland to England, I really wanted to see if I could ask for hand inspections of the film to avoid this very fast 1600 speed film going through the x-ray machines quite a few times. And at Brisbane Airport, they were more than happy to uh, hand inspect the film and uh, give it to me on the other side of the security section, which was great. So I really appreciated that. I don't think it would have been the end of the world if it had gone through, but certainly I was trying to limit how many um, times it went through the x-ray machines. Everything else in my bag, you know, the 100, 200, 400, 800 speed film just went um, straight through. So our flight left Brisbane Airport at 1am and around seven hours later we woke up in Hong Kong. With the time difference I think it was like 7am there and uh, it was very hot and humid. As soon as we got off the plane you could feel it. So we got a taxi to our hotel in Kowloon. We stayed at the very lovely Holiday Inn in Kowloon just off Nathan Road. And when we arrived, I think it was like nine o'clock or something by the time we got there, uh, our room wasn't actually due to be ready until 3 p.m. So it was six hours away. Um, We were all knackered. We were hot. We were sweaty by the time we got there because of the Hong Kong humidity. And uh, so they said, no, sorry, the room isn't ready. However, if you upgrade to this special club room, we can let you in the room now. And you get all these free food and drinks and hors d'oeuvres and wine and beer. And you get breakfast every day. So it was like, uh, I think it was about $100 extra a night Australian, um, so it's about 80, uh, 60, 70 US a night extra to upgrade. So um, we said, after a bit of uh, deliberation with the missus, uh, I said, yep, we'll pay that money. We want to get into the room now. We're knackered. So we went upstairs and we had beautiful air conditioning. And the best thing of all was we had access to this club room, uh, this club lounge, I guess you'd call it where all throughout the day and night there was tea, coffee, wine, beer, uh, snacks. Uh, So we basically lived in that club room just having all the free uh, drinks and food. Uh, It was very, very nice. So I'll tell you about some of our highlights in Hong Kong. So the first one was going to all the markets. We went to the markets on, I think we went to markets almost every day. But I'll tell you about one of the days we went. We had breakfast in our beautiful club lounge and we got a taxi all the way up past Mong Kok up to this bird market. And you sort of walk through this um, little walkway, maybe about 100 yards long, and there's all these different people selling caged birds. And so there's the birds, there's the cages, they sell feed for the birds. So there's all these bags of live crickets and stuff like that. I mean, it was fascinating to see this. Um, I think we all felt a bit sorry for the birds and for the crickets and everything else. Uh, Of course, we have pet stores in Australia in cages. um, But I guess, I don't know, there was a lot of these birds in some of the cages. And I think we all felt like we wanted to go and open the cages up and let them out. Uh, But who knows, maybe they wouldn't survive in the wild. But yeah, we saw all these pretty birds in cages. So the first picture I have on the show notes is a pink cage with all these beautiful birds in. Now, around the corner from that market, there's actually the famous flower market. So we went to the flower market and we looked at all these beautiful blooms everywhere. Um, But the first three photos I've actually got are of some kind of vegetable stand. So I took these photos. um, The first one was the Fujifilm Class S. And the second one is with the Olympus XA. Uh, The Fujifilm Class S used Portra 400. And the Olympus XA used Kodak Gold 200. Spot the difference between the two photos. I think you'll agree that they're very, very similar. Uh, If you can see any noticeable differences, please let me know. But man, I'll tell you what, 
The difference between a camera that costs about 100 US dollars and 1000 US dollars and there really is not much difference in this photo. The third photo is a close-up I took with the Class S. Love the colours there. There's these beautiful orangey reds and bluey purples and yellows. And there's these three kinds of fruits, I think they are, for sale. Um, I have no idea what they are. Maybe the purpley ones are figs? I don't know. And I can't read Cantonese either. So the, the Cantonese probably tells me what they are, but I, I can't read Cantonese. So uh, as the flower market suggests, there are a lot of flowers for sale there. So the next photo, again taken with a Class S, is a, a sort of bird's eye view down on some beautiful bunches of flowers that I took with the Class S on Portrait 400. It's nice and sharp in the middle left of the photo, and then just towards the outside of the photo, it kind of, it's not quite as in focus. I think it's probably because the camera may, do, may have used f2.8 or f4. It was a little bit dark where that shot was. The shot looks pretty good, I think. I love the colours. Uh, but yeah, I think it was probably uh, uh, using a wide aperture there. The next one is on the Mints RF70. It's an image I took uh, with the RF70 of some beautiful blooms. I don't know if they're hydrangeas, maybe. I'm not very good with my flora and fauna, but I think they're hydrangeas. They're beautiful, big kind of light blue, dark blue, and pink, white flowers. Lovely, lovely flowers. I wanted to buy some, but of course, we wouldn't have been able to take them anywhere with us, uh, you know, to Switzerland or anywhere. So I didn't buy any. The next image is of one of the markets we went to. Uh, I can't remember which markets this is. It may have been the ladies' market. Uh, we actually carried on from the flower market down to the ladies' market, which is kind of not too far away. Everyone was melting, and um, the kids were just like, "Oh, Dad, can we go back to the hotel? It's so hot." And um, we'd only been out of the out of the uh, hotel for about thirty or forty minutes when they asked me. But we actually found some little portable fans, some uh, little battery-powered fans. So we bought them the fans, and then they were a bit happier and we got them some cold drinks and we kept uh, going through the markets and the kids love the ladies market because there's so many toys and things for kids there and so this photo that I took of the I think it's the ladies market I'm not sure was actually taken on that plastic camera the Disdairy robot so it has three lenses, all of them plastic. Uh, the top part of the frame is goes the complete width of the frame. And then the second and third frames are the bottom half. So I guess there's one exposure across the top and then two across the bottom. And the one thing I notice is that the, the image on the top, the lens on the top seems a little bit more brighter than the other two lenses. I don't know why that is. Uh, it's probably not apparent in that photo, but certainly when we get to the Switzerland episode, you'll see some more images with this camera and you'll see what I mean by that. The, the top lens does seem a bit brighter for some reason. So the next photo in the show notes is one that I took. It's actually a terrible, terrible photo, but it's the only photo I got of these events. So one of the nights, I think it was maybe the second night we were in Hong Kong, we went out somewhere, I can't remember where we went, we got some food and we we're on the way back. And all of a sudden there was all this commotion at the top of the street. Now, until this point, we hadn't seen anything of the riots or the protests. Uh, it was just Hong Kong as normal. I don't think you probably would have even known if you were just going to all the touristy areas. The couple of things that I'd noticed was there was some graffiti around the place, you know, anti sort of pro Hong Kong, anti Chinese kind of sentiment. And then in one of the subway areas under the street, there was all these post-it notes on the wall, many of them in Cantonese, but uh, many of them, some of them in English, you know, that were pro, uh, pro-democracy, pro all that kind of stuff. But there was only these couple of little signs that anything was even, you know, even knew that anything was going on. Anyway, one night, uh, as we were going back to the hotel, we were about 20 metres away from the hotel, and I said to uh, the wife and kids, I said, oh, look, you guys go back. I'm just going to go up the road. There's something going on up here. And I know that sounds silly, but it really didn't seem at the time like anything untoward. It was just like a big gathering of people, and there was some kind of ambulance or something. So I thought, I'll just go up and see what's going on. So as I got closer, it was apparent what was going on. There were a lot of people in the gas masks on. There's a lot of people with umbrellas. There was a lot of chanting going on in Cantonese, which I couldn't understand. And there were people there with uh, like cameras and video cameras trying to film everything. And as I got up the top there, the road, uh, in Nathan Road, uh, something sort of happened and all these people started running. 
So I'm in the middle of the road. Like there's basically some concrete separating uh, the northbound lanes from the southbound lanes. And I was kind of near the concrete. And all of a sudden, all these people run past me, probably two or three yards away. And all these police follow them. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Um, and all of a sudden they were chasing these people down the road and they converged by this shop front where all these police surrounded this one lady and um, they just sort of surrounded her for a long time and didn't do much and I actually took one photo the only camera I had in my hands at the time was the RF-70 so I took one shot with the flash of the RF-70 and it's a terrible photo quite honestly but it does at least capture the scene there's all these people with reflective jackets on there's a whole load of people filming it with cameras and there's some police in there as well around this woman and there's other sort of protesters and people around the outskirts as well of the image so I sort of retreated I thought oh look I can't get stuck in the middle of this um, the kids and the wife will wonder where I am. So I went back down the road a little bit and there's literally dozens, if not hundreds of people all chanting in Cantonese. And I heard from the, uh, the news the next day, they were saying, let her go, let her go. So there you go. Um, all of a sudden it's out of nowhere, you know, normal Hong Kong with, you know, sights and sounds, taxis, buses, shops, you know, a lot of money changing hands in some of those shops. And, and then all of a sudden this sort of protests right there. Uh, so I went back to the hotel after that. And this is the nature of these protests. They kind of spring up out of nowhere and then disappear. So we were actually up one day near an electrical market. It sounded cool, like electrical goods market. But we went up there and it was really boring. It was really hot. It was just like stuff like light switches and cabling and stuff. And it wasn't very exciting for everyone. Um, so we were then there for about an hour. We had a little walk around, got some food and went back to the hotel. But I found out later that day, probably maybe an hour after we were there, there were actually really big protests in that area about 100 yards from where we were and the people were attacking the police station and all sorts of stuff was going on. So it's just just incredible really uh, what was going on there. Check out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com If you're on Instagram, come say hi at mattlovescameras or... If you fancy getting in touch, drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com. So my next Hong Kong highlight is the Star Ferry. So the Star Ferry is a passenger ferry that operates between Kowloon, which I guess is part of mainland China, I guess you could say, whether, not, not talking politically, I'm talking geographically. It is physically part of the mainland. And Hong Kong Island, which of course is an island in uh, Victoria Harbour in Hong Kong. So the Star Ferry probably takes, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 minutes to get, get across the harbour and they've used these beautiful old boats. Uh, I'm not sure from what era the, the current boats are. I'm going to guess maybe the 60s or the 70s. I'm not sure maybe they're older, but they're really beautiful old sort of wooden boats, sort of green colour and it's a, it's a great way to get a nice breeze if it's a hot day and get, of course, from one side of the harbour to the other. The Star Ferry's been doing this route since 1888, so there's a lot of history behind it. Uh, it's very, very economical way of travelling as well. It costs, uh, it depends which time of day and which route you go and all this kind of stuff, but it's around three Hong Kong dollars to go one way, which is around, I think, 38 cents uh, US. So it's very, very cheap and lots of fun. So the first photo I have is actually of the bus sort of terminal outside the Star Ferry in Kowloon. But I really like this. It was one morning. Uh, I had my RF-70 with me. So I took a picture of these three buses and there's a taxi on my left there. And there's the cool sort of very high rise buildings of Hong Kong Island in the background across the harbour. And there's these beautiful uh, palm trees on my left. So just showing how subtropical and hot and humid Hong Kong is that time of year. So I really like that photo. The next one, again, is an Instax wide shot with the RF-70. It is of the Star Ferry itself, or one of the Star Ferries. So this one is called Meridian Star, and it's got some really cool sort of life boys, I think they're called, at the top there. And it's just these lovely colours, that green and gold and white. And again, in the background, you can see a bit of Hong Kong in the background there. The next one is on the Star Ferry. Now, I actually had my Fuji film class with me, and what I forgot was lens fog that is something i forgot about so when you go from a really cool environment like your hotel room and you go straight outside into the hot weather you know there could have been like a 
10 to 15 degrees difference Celsius uh, in temperatures. Uh, it was actually quite dramatic from the beautiful, cool, air-conditioned hotel to the hot, steamy outside of Hong Kong. And so when I got my Class S out on the Star Ferry, I noticed that, well, after a couple of shots, I noticed that uh, there was lens fog around the lens. So I had to wipe that down with a cloth, uh, but I'd already taken a few shots, and so I'll tell you about them. The first one is of the Star Ferry itself, but an interior view. So on the left-hand side, there's some life buoys, orange life buoys, and leading up to one of the guys who works on the ferry. In the background, there's some of Hong Kong Island, some of the skyscrapers there, but it has got a very foggy kind of look to the uh, image, and it's not because of any fog, it's because of the lens fog. And the next one, you probably can't tell as much on this one, it's a very cloudy day anyway, uh, but it's another view of a different star ferry uh, going on one of the other routes across the harbour there. So I quite like that photo as well. The next two photos were also taken with the Fujifilm Class S on Portra 400. So one is the buildings of Hong Kong Island. Well, not all of them, just some of them, uh, with some lovely clouds in the background. It was a very cloudy day. And the next one is one I saw when I got off the Star Ferry. So it's some rickshaws for sale. Don't see many rickshaws in Hong Kong anymore. But there were some red and green rickshaws with a sign, rickshaw sale, Mr. Hung. Call Mr. Hung if you want a rickshaw in Hong Kong. He's got a few for sale there on Hong Kong Island. And to round off the Star Ferry images, I have an Instax wide one taken on the RF70. This one was taken at dusk. And again, it's very cloudy, um, kind of, I don't know if it's haze or smog or what it is. Um, visibility sometimes was not good during our trip. In fact, I don't think we ever really saw the sun without a layer of haze in between us and the sun. Uh, yeah, a lot of air pollution in that part of the world. And um, yeah, it was um, yeah, kind of sad to see, really. Now, one of the times that I went over to Hong Kong Island, it was actually to visit the Mint store. So Mint have a little store near Causeway Bay, I think it is. Uh, it's right opposite a big shopping center. So I got the Star Ferry across from Kowloon uh, to Hong Kong Island, and I walked up to Causeway Bay on a very hot, humid day. And I walked up, I think it was two flights of stairs, and I visited Joe, who was looking after the Mint store on this day. And uh, he was a very friendly guy. We had a bit of a chatter around the cameras and I had a look at all the, the different offerings that Mint have for sale. So the uh, the Polaroid, modified Polaroid cameras and the Instax cameras, of course. And it was very, very cool. But one of the reasons I was here, not just to look at the cool cameras, but with the Mint free films offer, I hadn't had any of the free film posted out to my address in Australia. So I actually emailed them and said, hey, can I pick up the film from your store? And they said, yep, sure, no worries. So I got there and I said to Joe, hey, um, here's my email confirmation. I'm here to pick up 11 packs of Instax Wide. And Joe was very friendly. He just had a quick look at the email and he said, oh, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I'll give you all the Instax Wide I have, um, but I don't have 11 packs. Uh, so Joe gave me six packs of Instax Wide and he said, I'll look in your next claim for your free film. Just say we owe you five and we'll send them to you. And indeed they did. Um, when I got back to Australia, I did my next claim and they sent me what I was owed for that month and they sent me another five. Uh, so yeah, very, very generous with the free film offer mints. And um, yeah, Joe was a very friendly guy and I enjoyed my little look around the store. It's probably not that big a store. I don't know, it might, might be, you know, five, six yards, five, six meters by square sort of thing uh, with a little cashier part behind that. Um, but so it's not really that big a store. It's not like a massive big showroom, but still it, like you can have a good look at the cameras and have a chat to the people there. And it's well worth visiting if you're in Hong Kong. So the next Hong Kong highlight is a visit to Champagne Court. So we're jumping back over the other side of the harbour now. This is in Kowloon. It's actually not too far from the hotel we were staying at. Just off Nathan Road, uh, there's a little place called Champagne Court where there's a whole load of camera stores. Now be warned, I went here a couple of times early in the morning. I think one was 9am, one was 10am. Don't bother. <laughs> Don't bother coming that early because the place is closed. There are signs up saying what time the shops are open, 
uh, usually I think maybe, oh, I can't remember. You'll have to look it up for yourself. But I think maybe from around lunchtime until, you know, late at night they're open. So just be warned, if you haven't got long in Hong Kong, make sure you get the times right. So I wandered around the stores when they were open and I had a good look in the window. I mean, there are so many cameras in these places. There are so many lenses. They're just chock a block every shelf has just got dozens of lenses and cameras on i mean i don't know some of these stores would have millions of dollars worth of stuff it's quite extraordinary the prices were pretty high i thought uh, i was actually quite shocked um i don't think there are any bargains at champagne court and uh, after i had a chat to people after i've been there people said yeah there's hasn't been any bargains at champagne court for some years i think it's the kind of place that if you really want a camera or a lens, go to Champagne Court and you're going to find it. You'll just have to be prepared to get your credit card out um, because it ain't cheap, I can tell you right now. So a couple of examples. Uh, there was an Olympus XA2 in a window of one place. It didn't look like it was that good a condition, um, but it was selling for the equivalent of about 175 US dollars uh, and didn't even come with the flash. Like That is probably... You know, for an XA2 without a flash, I reckon that's double the going rate, personally. I don't know how much they are in your neck of the woods, but $175 for an XA2, it's just in average kind of condition, and it's got no flash. Right behind that was a Lomo LCA um, with the f2.8 lens, of course. It's in a little box, at least. That's even more expensive. I think that's up around the 200 US dollar mark. And I think, again, I think that is quite a bit above the the going rate. The next photo I've got in the show notes, oh, these are phone photos, by the way, from Champagne Court. I didn't take any film photos of the film cameras. Uh, The next photo is of a whole load of Leica lenses. I don't know the going prices for these, but it'll give you an idea. If you were after some Leica glass in Hong Kong, uh, there's all sorts of lenses there. Super Angulon, El Maritz, is that how you say all that? Uh, Sumicron, all those kind of lenses. Vario, Elmar, all sorts of cool lenses there um, with probably very cool prices as well. The next one down is of two Olympus Pen cameras, half-frame cameras. So you've got an Olympus Pen F and an Olympus Pen EE2. Again, I think they're a little bit above the going rates. Uh, But have a look and uh, decide for yourself. I've actually put in the show notes a rough way of uh, converting the currency to some major currencies there so you get an idea. And of course, you can see the the image uh, that's got the price in Hong Kong dollars there. And the last one is of some Nikon lenses, some Nikon AIS lenses and other ones there. So uh, again, you'll get a feel for how much Nikon glass is in Hong Kong. So when I was there, I was looking through all the windows and admiring all the lenses and cameras. And then I saw a shop. I'm pretty sure it was David Chan's shop. And I'm pretty sure it was David Chan inside the shop. He's a well-known guy who who runs one of these uh, camera stores. So I went and pressed the, the doorway and I couldn't get in. I thought, oh, there's still people in there looking at cameras. Is the place closed or something? But all of a sudden, the door opened up. So they actually have a very strict security thing where the door's locked all the time. They have to physically have a look at you and and let you in the door. And then they sort of lock the door behind you. I kind of felt a bit lost in there because the people in the store were helping a couple look at some cameras. I sort of stood awkwardly sort of looking at the stuff. Um, Some of the stuff had prices on, some didn't. Um, But I knew from the window I probably wouldn't be able to afford anything. Um, I just went in to have a look around really and see what was in there uh, and if there was any bargains. But after about uh, probably two or three minutes of kind of awkwardly looking around, I thought I may as well just leave. Um, So it was very interesting. But uh, like I said, I don't think there's been any super cheap bargains at Champagne Court for many years. My next Hong Kong highlight is the morning we went to Disneyland. So we actually had four free tickets to Disneyland. My sister-in-law, whose wedding we were going to in England, she works for Disney and she very kindly got us four complimentary tickets. Uh, So that was lovely. And we went to Hong Kong Disneyland. We got a taxi out there on a very hot, steamy morning. And when we got there, we went straight for, I think it was Hyperspace Mountain, uh, which is that roller coaster in the dark. And they've kind of changed to a Star Wars theme lately in the last few years. 
years. So we did that twice, and then we went on some Iron Man ride. It was one of those horrible rides, the Iron Man, where it's kind of like a virtual reality kind of ride, and you know you sit in this thing and the thing vibrates and jumps up and down. It's not actual like a roller coaster. Oh man, I don't know why I went in that because I hate those rides. And then we went on the Gold Rush ride. It's got some really weird long name in Hong Kong, but it's basically the Disney Gold Rush ride. And there was no queue for it. And I love that ride so much. And the kids loved it. So we did it once. Then we ran back around and got the queue again, waited three or four minutes and went on the second time. And we were like, yeah, 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 let's go again, let's go again. So we ran for a third time, and there's hardly any queue. We got straight back on, and uh, that was great. I really loved it. And by the end of the third time, I was like, oh, I don't know if I feel a bit strange now, because that I'd already been on, say, Hyperspace Mountain twice, the Iron Man ride, and three Gold Rushes ride. So within an hour at Hong Kong Disneyland, I've been on six kind of thrill rides. And I was like, ah, oh, no, the kids wanted to go a fourth time on the Gold Rush ride. So I was like, okay, let's go, let's go. So we went around for the fourth time. By the time I sat in the roller coaster the fourth time, I was starting to feel like, oh, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Um, and we did the fourth roller coaster ride. And for significant portions of the ride, I had my eyes closed. Really did not feel very well. Uh, now, I didn't throw up over the ride or over my cameras or anything like that, or over the family either. Um, but after that fourth ride, I felt very ill and very cranky. Uh, so I actually went, had to go sit down for about 20 minutes and the kids got some food and stuff like that. They were happy, but I was really cranky with myself. So it just goes to show you in life, a very good moral is that um, too much of a good thing is not good for you. My next Hong Kong highlight, and one I just love so much, is the Hong Kong trams. So we're back now on Hong Kong Island, over the water from Kowloon. And uh, once you sort of step off the Star Ferry, if you walk, I don't know, 10 or 12 minutes or so, eventually you'll come to like a little tram line. Um, Probably closer if you know where you're going, but I was kind of wandering around. So this tram line sort of goes east-west kind of direction on Hong Kong Island, and you can just jump on. The fares are pretty cheap, and I just loved going to the top deck of the trams. So they're actually double-decker trams. They're quite long and quite narrow and quite tall. And I used to jump on the top deck. Uh, well, you know, jump on the tram and then go up to the top deck. The windows are all open because it's summer. And I used to go at the front and take pictures at the front, go at the back, take pictures at the back. I just loved it. So I took quite a few RF70 pictures. The first one in the show notes is of a couple sort of taking a selfie of themselves on the tram behind us. One is, sorry, it's from the Class S, which is a tram there, the the number 160 by the look of it, going to Whitty Street Depot. Uh, The next one is an image I love. It's quite a dark image, but it's of this beautiful sort of thoroughfare in Hong Kong with this really colourful building in the middle. Really like that one. And this last one was taken on the last day that we were in Hong Kong, which was a Sunday. And the whole family, we'd taken this tram to the, I think it was the Whitty Street Depot. And when we got to the end of the line, the uh, tram driver said, you got to get off, end of the line. So we got off and we kind of thought, okay, what are we going to do now? And all of a sudden I turned around and I saw like seven or eight trams in a row, bumper to bumper. So of course I got my cameras out to take some cool photos. The family were nearby, very, very hot and sweaty. Once we got off the tram, we had a nice cool breeze on the tram. But once we were out of the tram, it was just like standing in the sun It was very hazy again, so we weren't in the direct sunlight because of this permanent kind of haze in Hong Kong in summer. Uh, But I was taking some photos of the trams, and I turned around and I saw someone talking to my wife, a a gentleman talking to my wife. And uh, after about a minute or so, I mean, he looked pretty harmless, but I thought, I better go over there. She looks a bit bored. Uh, So I went over and said, oh, hi, how are you doing? And he said, oh, what you're seeing here is, is very unusual, all these trams parked together. And I said, oh, like, what's going on? How, why is it so unusual? He said, well, for only the third or fourth time ever, all of the trams have been called back to the depot early. And I said, oh, why, why is that? And he said, well, because there's been a big protest today in one of the parks and they're expecting some trouble tonight. They've shut down the tram service. Um, you know, it's not even four o'clock and they've shut down the tram service. So they're all queuing here to get back into the depot. 
and sure enough, one by one, they were sort of turning around the corner into the the depot, and uh, yeah, going going to bed for the night. The trams. Uh, so I said, "All oh, right, um, yeah, it was really interesting what the guy was telling us." And he said, "Oh, you know, look, if I were you, I would get back to your hotel, and um, you know, you don't want to get caught in anything that's going on." So we were actually going to go to Victoria Peak, which is up a kind of like a cliff kind of railway kind of thing. Uh, So we were going to do that on our last afternoon in Hong Kong. uh, But given the really bad visibility, you couldn't see that well because of all this haze. And because of this information the guy had given us about what was going on, we thought, hmm, maybe we should cut down our itinerary a little bit. So we actually went to the kind of hilly area um, in Hong Kong, Spine Central. I can't remember the name of it, but some lovely sort of antiques, um, sort of antique shops. And of course, one of them I'd seen in a brochure had some cameras in. So of course, I had to go and have a look in that shop. Didn't buy anything, but I like to look there. We got some food. We went to an amazing ice cream place and they made these amazing ice creams for us. And the kids just absolutely loved that. Uh, So we had the ice cream. And then we said, right, uh, we probably won't be able to get a a metro back. It's probably too far to walk to the train to get back to Kowloon to our hotel. So we got a taxi. And I was kind of dreading that we might get stuck in traffic on the way back to Kowloon. I said to the taxi driver, how long will it take? And he said, I have no idea. It just depends on traffic and whatever else is going on. It only took about 15 minutes, so it was pretty quick. And uh, we got back to the hotel. So this is probably around uh, about seven o'clock in the evening. And as we come back into the hotel, I said to the hotel staff, oh, look, we need to go to the airport in about half an hour. Is it okay? Do we just need to come and book a taxi? And they said, oh, it's no problem. We'll just get a taxi for you off the street. You know, there's a driveway here and the taxi's coming in. No problem at all. Just come see us when you're ready. So we went and got changed because we're about to get on a flight to Switzerland. And we had, a, I had, like, I had to change my shirt because it's so hot and humid. I was just like, you know, my shirt's a bit damp from the sweat. It's horrible. Uh, it's just oppressive. Uh, but, of course, as soon as you get back in the hotel, it's lovely and cool in the hotel Uh, but we went and got changed we went and visited the lovely lounge bar for the last time and got some cold drinks and then we went upstairs to the reception and when we got up to reception it was really dark in reception and we're like what's going on and the front doors the glass doors which fronted this driveway where all the taxis came in had all these metal shutters on them in front of them And there was only a tiny little door where people were going in and out of the hotel through this tiny little doorway. And of course, immediately seeing this, we were like quite alarmed, like, what is going on? We need to get to the airport. So I went up to one of the staff members and said, oh, look, we we need to get a taxi to the airport, please. And they said, oh, no, sorry, the, uh, the taxis have stopped. And of course, hearing that, we're all kind of, you know alarmed and a bit anxious and like what the hell is going on and so I said oh why why the the taxis finished and he said oh well the streets are closed there's going to be a protest here tonight there's already protesters milling about outside and you know half an hour before even 25 minutes before there were no signs of this whatsoever but all of a sudden this thing had materialized the roads are closed the taxis had finished and so he sort of said, look, you know, we need to get to the airport. We've got a flight tonight. What, what, what do you recommend we do? And they said, I'll go outside and see the lady outside. So we went through this very narrow gap in these shutters, these metal shutters. And we had to drag, you know, we had three big suitcases and four backpacks, two children, two adults. And we got out to this driveway out the front. And at the front, there was five or six staff members from the Holiday Inn, and they were sort of getting people inside the hotel. And, uh, you know, they, look, they looked a little bit alarmed. They, they, they weren't panicking or anything, but they certainly, there was some tension in the air. And we saw a lady and we said to her, hi, look, you know, we need to get to the airport. You know, what do you recommend we do? And she said, oh, look, to be honest, I think you go down to the MRT, the, the metro, go back to Hong Kong Island, which is kind of backwards, on the way to the airport but then from there you can pick up the airport line straight out to the airport that'll be your best bet and so she actually uh, called over a guy in Cantonese an older gentleman and she said this gentleman will escort you to the nearest station so you can get to the metro uh, and the nearest metro to where we were staying was, apologies for my pronunciation, it was Sim Sha Sui East. 
So the gentleman walked us, he kind of hurried us along and he kept looking around and it was a bit worrying. There was a lot of protesters in the street, you know, with umbrellas, gas masks, all that kind of thing. And so he took us to this um, elevator, a lift, and he said, right, go down here and you can go through the underground to Sim Sha Sui main station and you can get to the airport from that, from there. So do that. So we said, thank you very much. And he said, good luck to us. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden we were going down a lift into the underground tunnels that linked Sim Sha Sui East to Sim Sha Sui main station. So we got down there and the underground station, the underground subways are, you know, full of people, uh, a lot of commuters. And, and people, you know, enjoying their Sunday afternoon or whatever, but also like dozens, if not hundreds of these protesters with masks on and umbrellas. And uh, we walked about three or four hundred meters, you know, four or five hundred yards to Sim Sha Sui main station, which is kind of just under Nathan Road. And, you know, there were already people starting to mill about and stuff there. And we saw a Metro uh, employee and we said, look, we need to get to the airport. Are we going to be OK to get a ticket here and go? We've been told that going to Hong Kong Island is our best bet and picking up the airport line from there. And he said, look, I, I would not go to Hong Kong Island. I think it's what you see here. It's going to be worse on Hong Kong Island uh, because there was a it was a big gathering there today in a park. And, and the stations there are going to be a lot busier. And he said, I would not go that way. And we said, oh, what are we going to do? And he said, oh, I'd go back to Simsa Sui East and take a line, you know, further away from here and try and get an airport, you know, train from there or try and get a taxi. So we then went back. We trudged back with two children, three suitcases and four backpacks. We trudged back the way we came, you know, four or five hundred meters uh, in the subway tunnels. And just as we come back towards Simsha Sui East, there was actually all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there was about probably 100, 150 people gathered in uh, one of the tunnels. And they're all talking Cantonese, so we couldn't understand them. But they were basically marshalling the troops, you know, telling people what was going to go on, what they were going to do. And uh, it was actually very clever. There were three ladies with umbrellas, and they put their umbrellas up towards the CCTV cameras which meant, of course, that the authorities couldn't use the CCTV cameras to see what was going on and, and who was doing what. So I thought that was very clever. I've actually put a photo of my uh, wife. Uh, she was kind of, <laughs> when she saw them, she sort of looked around and she had a very shocked look on her face. Um, I, I must say, we were quite alarmed. I mean, you know, we were quite a little bit alarmed, I guess you could say we were. I, I don't think at any stage I actually felt like we were in danger. Uh, the only danger I felt was, look, what if we got caught? between the protesters and the police. That's what I was worried about. Um, but certainly, you know, being, you know, Western tourists, uh, you know, we were not in the firing line of the protesters nor the police. Um, but it was a little bit worrying. Um, so, yeah, very, very interesting times. So we went to Sim Sha Sui East Station. We went on this metro line a couple of stops, maybe two or three stops. And then we got out, went up to the road and we got a taxi and got a taxi out to the airport. So we were very relieved to do that. When we got to the airport, there was actually probably about 100, 150 people uh, in the arrival hall chanting in Cantonese, um, having like a sit-in, uh, which was quite unbelievable. Uh, just to see, you know, the, the depth of feeling of these people and, and the 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 risks they're willing to go to uh, to try and, you know, uh, promote democracy and, and and sort of say, hey, we're not happy with what's going on here and we're, we're going to, you know, show you. We're going to protest and we're going to show you. So it was quite fascinating. We did feel like we did see a slice of history taking place, even though we were only there for, you know, three, four days. Uh, it was quite amazing. Now, we got on our flight to Zurich that night and then the next day when we woke up in Zurich, uh, we actually heard they closed Hong Kong Airport for 12 or 14 hours. Uh, so we pretty much got out, you know, a few hours before they closed the airport. Um, so <laughs> it was a, a lucky escape from Hong Kong for us and, and we were able to continue our trip.
So, wow, this is actually turning into a really long episode. I, I was actually worried that I wouldn't be able to fill an episode up with stuff about Hong Kong, uh, but I definitely have. Just a few things to round off the show. Of course, today, the 7th of October, is the last day of Holger Week. Did you guys get out there and shoot your Holgers? I have bought a Holger in a bulk lot of stuff. Um, I bought about five or six Lomography cameras off a guy here in Brisbane oh, about 18 months ago. And I got the Holger out of the box for the first time. It had a weird smell to it, like a really strange, horrible smell. And um, I loaded the film in. I'm not very good with 120 film. But I loaded the film in and I thought, oh, in case I want to take some photos with flash, I better put some batteries in. So that I then took the film out, which was a real pain in the bum. I opened up the, the uh, sort of mask, uh, took the mask out to put some fresh batteries on or, or to put some batteries in. And then I saw a horrible sight before me, which explained the horrible smell. The batteries, uh, maybe the guy had left batteries in there when I bought the camera. I didn't know and they had exploded. So long story short, my Holger is uh, only non-flash photos because I think all the battery terminals have, have got horrible gunk all over them. I did give it a clean up and, and try and put fresh batteries in, um, but the flash wouldn't fire. So I think it's a, yeah, non-flash Holger. So I think I've finished, I oh know I've got one frame left in that roll. So I'll have to take that one tomorrow. Um, but all the rest of the photos I did take during Holger week. So I'll see how I got on with the Holger. Um, I did shoot the Diana last year. I shot two rolls on a Diana and I hated that camera. Um, <laughs> so I'm hoping the Holger fares a little better. Something else that's happened in the last week has been the launch of the 2019 Emulsive Secret Santa. So if you've listened to early episodes of this podcast, you'll know that I took part in last year's. Uh, to be honest, I, I really enjoyed the whole process of being part of it and sending off my gift. Look, I was a bit disappointed with what I received in the post. I wasn't expecting anything other than a couple of rolls of film, maybe in a postcard or something like that. Uh, but I actually got four black and white prints on paper cardboard, uh, which was kind of weird, I thought. Uh, and I wasn't sure if I was going to take part in this year's. But look, I have thought about it and oh, look, I'm really excited for it. And I have signed up uh, already for the Emulsive Secrets out in 2019. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, here is a description from Emulsive's website. It's just like a normal secret Santa that you might play with your family, friends, or at work. Everyone's name goes into a hat, and each person is matched randomly with another player they're matched to buy a gift for. So you basically get given the name of someone, and you have to buy a gift for them and send it to them. They then have to buy a gift for someone else, and then that person buys a gift for someone else, and there's a big, massive, huge kind of, you know, pairing circle. I don't know how it all works. It must be very, very complex for the organizers to do. So uh, hats off to, to M and I think it's Aislin who also helps out with that, um, does a lot of work. So uh, yeah, it's a very big global undertaking and uh, it'd be interesting to see how many players there are this year. So I'd encourage you guys to um, get on to the emulsive.org and find the link to the Secret Santa website. I'll also put a link in the show notes for you to make it a little bit easier, which of course you can see at mattlovescameras.com. And if you do decide to join, I mean, it's a bit of effort and a bit of money involved. I think the prize, and uh, the prize, the, the gift you've got to give has got to be worth about 20 US dollars. Then you have to factor in shipping either to the country you're in or to overseas country. So um, there is a bit of, you know, monetary uh, input and also some, you know, time and effort in terms of looking at uh, the person that you're buying for and what, what you think they'd like and choosing a nice gift for them. So if you do want to do it, sign up at Emulsive, uh, via Emulsive.org or via the link on the show notes. And uh, if you do sign up, there's a little section about how did you find out about Emulsive uh, Secret Santa. Um, there is a section where you can click podcasts. And if you want to put podcasts, put Matt Loves Cameras in there so that M at Emulsive knows that the Matt Loves Cameras podcast is a force to be reckoned with in podcast land. Uh, there's no there's no kickback. There's no money or anything like that. It's just, it just letting M know that, hey, Matt Loves Cameras is here and maybe one day he will feature us, will feature me and Marshall Dalmatian and the rest of the podcast crew on the list of photography podcasts on Emulsive, uh, which he hasn't done yet. Naughty M. 
And the final thing I want to tell you guys this week is that uh, just after I published the episode on the RF70, which was uh, episode 18 of Matt Loves Cameras, I had a message on my Matt Loves Instant account on one of the photos. It was from a guy called Sergio from Fresno, California. Hi, Sergio. And he wrote, uh, I listened to your podcast episode on the RF70 right after I placed the order for mine. (laughs) So there you go. It must have been a pretty good review if uh, Sergio decided to buy an RF70 after listening to the review. Um, So, uh, gosh, I feel a bit bit guilty that I'm uh, sort of fueling gas with this podcast. Um, But there you go. So I hope, Sergio, I hope you love your RF70. If you want to check out Sergio's photos, he is at Oso Shot First. I think that's how you say it. It's Oso Shot First on Instagram. That's it for this episode of Matt Loves Cameras. A very action-packed episode of Matt Loves Cameras. I hope you have enjoyed the show. The next episode will be our adventures in Switzerland, which were a little bit tamer. Uh, There are a couple of little funny stories that happen there as well. Uh, You always get these funny little things that happen to you when you travel. It certainly uh, makes you more resilient and more adaptable uh, to life, doesn't it? See you next time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. and a Creative Commons license. The End by Cassie. Soundcloud.com forward slash Cassie NMZ. Check the show notes for the link.